good to see you. And um, I just wanted to uh, make one thing clear as we get started. Um, that little girl I kissed across, like as she was coming across the stage, that girl's mine. Okay, that's my daughter. <laughs> okay, okay. Just, I just want to clarify that's in case some people are like, what kind of church is this? <laughs> okay, all right, that, that's my little girl. <laughs> okay, so, all right, now that that's clear, <laughs> we can move on. So, um, guys, it's good to see you here today. It has been a great summer. It's so good to um, see so many of you back. Um, people have been traveling the world, um, doing missions. People have been traveling the world for vacation. People have been um, uh, getting married. Come on, Mike and Leah, come on. <laughs> people have uh, been getting engaged. People have, like, I mean, li- listen, man, it's been an amazing summer. Uh, next week, actually, uh, Jason and Erica, that's right, Jason, who was leading worship, is getting married. Come on, can you give it up for Jason? Yeah, that's right. So he'll be singing a different song after the following week. Um, and then, and then uh, Natalia and Caleb, were they a couple weeks after that? Yeah, they're getting married too. Can't you give it up for them? <laughs> so my goodness, it's such good stuff happening. And uh, we're so glad to be able to do it together. So um, God's good to see you here today. And uh, for those of you who haven't met yet, my name is Rollin. I'm the uh, pastor here. And uh, I want to jump immediately into the Word just because of our time today and uh, tell you that what we've been doing, if you haven't been with us recently, is we've been doing a series uh, called Revealed, the names, qualities, and character of God. And if we're going to come together as a people to worship, we want to know who he is, what he expects of us, and really, quite frankly, what we're to expect of him as our immutable, unchangeable, all-powerful God as we serve him. And so we've been going through the Old Testament, bringing it into the New, knowing that the Bible is a continuous story. Did anybody feel like a little bit put to shame when like the kids were answering all those questions? I was sort of like on the internet check, fact checking, you know, I mean, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. It was good. You know, and so um, it's good because the Bible is a continuous story, right? From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, it's God making himself known to humanity in such a way where he says, not only have I appeared and uh, done great things amongst the nations, but I'm also continuing to do things amongst the nations. I want to uh, make myself known to you throughout the generations until I make my ultimate return and actually bring to redemption all of humanity, which has been waiting for me. And so with that in mind, we've been going through Old Testament names and gone through names that might have been familiar to you, but maybe not so much um, in terms of their meaning. Uh, Growing up, if you had any exposure uh, to the church, I myself did not grow up in the church. So when I was coming into the church, these names were unfamiliar to me, but you might have heard them in passing before, but not actually understood what they were. They were names that we were going over where God was describing himself. And so we, throughout this series, have been going through names like Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, Jehovah, uh, Je- Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Rophi, Jehovah, all of these different names of God, which he's giving of himself to describe who he is and point to the person of Jesus as the one who is the fulfillment of all these things. And so today, we're, I was actually going to do the last two names, um, and I know I said I wanted to end today, but actually what we have coming up is um, September 17th. Everybody say September 17th. September 17th is actually something broad-based for the church world, not just Second City Church, but across the church world. Did you know that there was an actual thing called Back to Church Sunday? 
Okay, which, yeah, which we believe is every Sunday. But the point is, is that nationally, it's like come back to church. But, but nationally, there is a day after people are coming back from vacation and traveling and things like that and getting back into their rhythms. There is a time across this country where people are encouraged to rally behind the purposes of God and bring people into the house of God so that people could be ministered to. And so that is September 17th. And what we're going to do is we're going to break up the last two uh, messages. I'm going to do one today um, on Jehovah Rophi. And then the other one that I'm going to do is on Jehovah Shammah, which actually you'll see in context because it's talking about the Lord is there. But um, if you could mark that down in your calendars, and we have Erica, the wonderful Erica, who actually put together a text um, sort of um, message image that's going to be easy to pass along to people. You know, sometimes you don't want to talk to people over the phone. Anybody like texting instead of actually talking on the phone? Come on, be honest. Okay, so like, but it's like a quick, easy message that you can pass along to friends, family members, co-workers, and invite them there. So today, in the Bible, what we're going to uh, cover is just Jehovah Rohi, and then uh, the following week, um, we'll cover Jehovah Shammah leading up to Back to Church Sunday, okay? So if you have a Bible today, open up to the familiar um, chapter of Psalm chapter 23. We'll pray, and we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for your goodness towards us. We thank you for your word to us today. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We praise you for your goodness towards us. And God, we're asking you that today, as we understand your word, understanding you are our Jehovah Rohi, that God, you would help us to come into a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. And for those in here who are just checking you out and don't know you yet, God, we pray that you would make yourself so abundantly clear and known that God, people might turn to you in love, faith, and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. Jehovah Rohi, Psalm 23 reads this way. How many people like had to memorize that as a kid? Okay, or like basically at least heard it over and over again. It's the familiar shepherd's, uh, um, shepherd's prayer. It's of King David, uh, the man after God's own heart, who was in Israel leading at the time. And this is after a period of time where he'd been walking with God and seen God's faithfulness over the years. It wasn't just that he had heard about God, but David, King David, the writer or author of this psalm, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, had actually been through some things, right? And anybody remember that whenever you first served God, it was one thing to hear about him, but it was another thing to actually live some life and see his faithfulness in the midst of the life that you're living and actually see all that you heard about him be faithful to, and it changes your interaction with him. Anybody have that testimony in here? Yeah, it's what David was experiencing as he wrote this. So let's read. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. And for the context of our message today, if you were to translate this in the um, Hebrew, which it was originally written, it was basically the Lord is my rohi or the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Now, whenever we've been talking about the different names of God, we've been talking about things that had to do with his righteousness, his holiness, his strength, his rulership as Lord, all of these different things. And when you hear terms like that, it obviously invokes in you something of an awe of God, right? When you understand God is master and in control of not only your personal life as a Christian, but also Lord of all creation, it has you understand that he's to be feared. In fact, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so when we see God revealing himself in the fall of humanity in these ways, pointing out people's sin, but understanding that through the names he's representing and the way he's interacting with humanity, he has his gospel message from the beginning, to redeem humanity from their sin, to deal with the sin that's inherent in every man and woman's heart, turn them back to him through the cross and his righteousness that he makes an exchange with us with and bring us into not only forgiveness of sins, but freedom from sin and new life as we choose to love and obey him as he's chosen to love us. But one of, what, one of the things that we often um, uh, sort of run into is the idea that God can be one that we hold in awe, but he's one that we also keep at a distance. And that's what religion often does to people in their minds, their hearts, and their mentalities. But here in this psalm, it's the introduction of this term Jehovah-Rohi, where Jehovah, the personal God who revealed himself to Israel, is coming as an intimate person. He's coming as an intimate God and relating to Israel through David's words in a brand new way. He's saying the Lord is not just everybody's shepherd, but he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and I, because of that, shall not be in want. And so whenever David, King David, the writer of this psalm, was utilizing this term, we've got to understand what it actually meant in the Hebrew. The term roe meant literally to feed or to lead to pasture, as a shepherd does for his flock. Roe is used in relationship to rulers and their people. You understand that King David, the author of this particular psalm, was before he anointed, he was anointed king of Israel, was actually a faithful shepherd to his father's flock out in the fields. So he knew what it was that he was talking about whenever he described God in this way. And we're going to understand what a shepherd was in the midst of the Palestinian landscape and understand how they related to the sheep and why God's utilizing this name to attach himself to us. The word also meant a companion or friend. If you've ever heard of uh, the song before, Israel Houghton, right? I am a friend of God. Anybody heard that before? I am a friend. He calls me friend. Well, this is where these things are coming from. Even Jesus in the New Testament, where he's calling the people up into relationship with himself, saying, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He says, listen, I no longer just call you servants, because I'm ca- but I'm calling you friends because I'm making my business known to you. I'm actually calling you into an intimacy that you have not known before. This is what this world, um, this word implies. The idea actually meant to share in your food and life. It signified to associate with, to take pleasure in, and to cherish something as treasured. To cherish something as treasured. And so all of a sudden, when God's describing himself as the shepherd of his people, Israel, through this guy, King David, all of a sudden he's saying, listen, this is the heart of God towards you. This is the heart of God towards his people, that you are treasured and cherished in my sight. 
And if I know that I'm treasured and cherished, it changes the way that I'm relating to the one who views me in that capacity and views me in that way. I know most of you have a job in here, even if you're a student right now, and you don't always feel cherished or treasured at your job. How many people can say amen to that? Okay, you are one of the numbers passing through. Uh, You are there to accomplish a goal. And if you decide to move on, then people wipe their hands of you and you go on, right? But the point is God doesn't deal with his people that way. He says, I'm a shepherd and I consider my people treasured and something that I cherish. And though that in this particular psalm, it's not a direct name of God, it's a description of one of the most inherently intimate and heartfelt of all of Scripture. So whenever we look at the idea of a shepherd, most of us have not grown up in a culture where we uh, know what a shepherd is like, but you need to understand what he's saying here. When King David was a shepherd of Israel, he was one who was basically, number one, an ardent defender of his flock. Whenever his flock came out into the field and he had trust or care over them, he was a defender of them. The Bible says, according to Psalm 23, he led them continually to lay them down in green pastures, meaning that he gave them food and he, he did not eat for them, which is a big deal in Christianity, right? Because a lot of times we want God to not only lead us to green pastures, but do the eating for us, right? To actually do the work of relating with us. And God's like, I'll lead you to my word, but you've got to eat, right? You've got to meditate on it. You've got to ingest it. He, David, as a shepherd, was leading the, um, the um, sheep to pastures where they can feed from. He said that even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, meaning that there was danger all around on every side, there were wolves and wild beasts that were continually coming to attack the sheep. He says he makes a table for them in the presence of his enemies, meaning that that he's a defender with his rod and his staff and that he's basically saying with the rod I'm going to fight to defend you from the wild beast with my staff I'm going to lead you right this is what David as a shepherd had in understanding his relationship with the sheep and all of these things were important because he says that in the midst of that he restores their souls he restores their strength he restores their ability to do what's right and he says in the culmination Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Meaning that the shepherd's intention towards the sheep is not that he would just shear them, not just that he would just use them for me. God's not just trying to use you, but he's actually trying to have goodness and mercy chase you down. That's actually what the word means in the Hebrew, that a lot of times we're fending for ourselves in this culture and in our communities, in our jobs, in our careers, in our profession. But God's like, if I've got you as your good shepherd, I'm saying that I'm going to have goodness and mercy chase you down all the days of your life, meaning that you're not doing it on your own, but there's a shepherd who's looking after you. This is what David, who grew up as a shepherd, was communicating and relating about God. But the thing about it is, is that we see often represented throughout the scripture different examples of how these shepherds, not just King David, but how these shepherds experienced the, um, what it took to be a good shepherd to the sheep that they were responsible for. And what we see is that in God, God's tireless care looking over the welfare of his people throughout the day and in the sleepless nights 
was related through a man named Jacob. We talked about Jacob before, who oftentimes, if you can imagine yourself as a shepherd or a shepherdess out in the fields, it wasn't just during the day that you had concern over the sheep, but it was also during the night, right? It was also during the night where you didn't get to go inside the house to the air conditioning units, your great HVAC units. It was often cold and dry out there, right? And then the wolves didn't come all the time during the day when people were looking for them. They came at night. They came at night and the shepherd or the shepherdess had to be awake during the night to actually watch over that which was under their care. And so all of a sudden you see Jacob describing himself as a shepherd and he's saying, I've had tireless nights. And God being described as a shepherd is tireless in his care over you. He doesn't slumber or he doesn't sleep, but instead he's one who's always vigilant to look over your life. God's watchful eye and constant protection, even in the face of danger, were not only depicted by David going up against Goliath, right, for the sheep of Israel, but against the lion and the bear. Everybody remember the story of King David whenever he went up against Goliath? Okay, if you, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you remember that story, you've heard of that story, rather. But the reason David had such confidence to go up against this giant of the land who was named Goliath is because he said, as a shepherd, I had to defend the sheep. I had to defend the sheep in times of danger against a real lion and a real bear. This wasn't the circus. It was actually out in the wild, a real lion and a real bear. And he actually had to actually show some ingenuity, show, show some resolve, show some strength and say, you know what? If it costs me my own life, I'm going to protect these sheep that are entrusted to me. And all of these things are used as descriptions of God's heart towards him, um, not only him, but towards his people. And if you belong to him, his heart towards you. What we see is that what God was saying is that not only did he reveal himself as a shepherd to David as a king of Israel, he started after that point to reveal himself to the prophets of Israel and say that I'm going to continue this theme of a shepherd. I'm going to continue this theme of my heart as Jehovah Rohi to my people by describing my care even in the midst of judgment for my people this way. Isaiah 40, if you have it. God says this, behold, the Lord God, the Lord God comes with might. When he's dealing with his people, he's not weak in dealing with you. He's not weak in dealing with your problems. He's not weak in dealing with your health, your finances, or your relationships. He is strong and he says, I'm coming with might. Isn't that what we were singing about this morning? He says, I'm coming with might, and he says, and his arm rules for him. Those are the other names that we described before. He said, behold, his reward is with him for those who are faithful to him, and his recompense, meaning his reward, is before him. But then he says this, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the heart and the nature of God. The same God who rescued the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt and wrought plagues against the Egyptians so that the Israelites might go free. Mighty and strong, right? To be feared. 
This same God is the one who says, I'm compassionate. I'm the one who comes with reward. I want to reward my people. And as a shepherd and a good father, he says, my disposition towards you is if you're faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. And in me, I'm coming with my recompense. And in the midst of that, I'm going to deal not only mightily with you, but I'm going to be both strong and gentle. I'm going to be both strong and gentle. And depending on what kind of household you grew up in, if you did not have a father around, you don't have that particular picture in mind, right? Or if you grew up in a household where there was a father, but he wasn't always a godly father, you might have had him actually demonstrating one of those two things, but not both, right? He might have been strong, but maybe harsh. He might have been strong, but overbearing. He might have been strong, but you would not describe him as gentle, But God, whenever he's describing himself as a good shepherd, he's actually saying, I'm both strong, meaning mighty, and gentle. And as you're trying to learn about me, if you would just give me your first and your best, I will lead even you with young, which means you have responsibility that you're trying to juggle throughout your days. You're saying, listen, God, I'm trying to serve you, but I'm trying to figure out how to serve you in the midst of work, in the midst of kids, in the midst of marriage, in the midst of all these things that are pulling at me day after day. God, I need you to be patient with me. Has anybody said something like that before? God, I'm trying. I'm trying to give you my best, but I need you to be patient with me. He said, I've got this. I'm the good shepherd who is both strong and gentle. And even those with young, I lead gently. And you need to come to me and know my heart. I'm Jehovah Rohi. I'm Jehovah Rohi, he says. The shepherd who comes and leads in this manner. And as the God who is both good and strong, I'll describe more of this in the next message. uh, Many of you have heard of at least passed over in your Bibles, a, a book of the Bible. It was a prophet named Ezekiel before. How many people have ever at least thumbed through Ezekiel? You started to read it, it seemed weird, and you were like, well, I'm moving on. (laughs) Okay, all the visions that he saw. Okay, we'll get into that. We'll get into the context of that, okay? But Ezekiel was actually prophesying to the people of God, the Israelites, during a time of judgment. And in the time of judgment, where they were taken as exiles into a place called Babylon, he, unfortunately, as a prophet, though he was faithful to God, he was also taken along with the Israelites who disobeyed into judgment. He was taken into Babylon with them, and there from that place of judgment was prophesying. And he says, even in the midst of the disarray that is going on around me, even because I see the, re- the reality of the consequences of people's decisions to reject God, and then therefore his word came to pass that he's got to discipline them, He says, even then we know that he's still the shepherd who has a heart towards us. And he judges not just his people in general, but he judges those who should have been leaders amongst them. The under-shepherds of Christ. He said, listen, I'm judging those who are shepherds who don't take care of my people, but only take care of themselves. But I'm telling you, in my day, in my restoration of all things, I'm going to come back and be a good shepherd to you. And what kind of shepherd should we look for him to be? What should we expect him to do? Ezekiel 34 talks about this. Verse 11, he says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself, I myself 
will search for my sheep and seek them out. I myself, the good shepherd, I'm going to, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of disarray, in the midst of all the problems that are scattering people here, there, and everywhere. I was a youth pastor for years, and I love the youth. Anybody love teenagers in here? Okay, I hope so. If some of you are teenagers still. But like, listen, it's like I love teenagers. And the thing about it is, is that I, I loved working with them and investing the word of God into them. But I was always concerned once they graduated from school and left their parents home, what their faith would be like. Because they go to the university or they go to different settings of life where things get tough, Right? And then push comes to shove. And they're having to say, do I have this faith in my heart or was it just my parents? And they get scattered oftentimes. Many of you, after years of wandering, have come back to the Lord. Why? Not because you had an epiphany, but because the Lord, the shepherd, has come looking for you. And though you've gone astray or gone off course, God in his mercy, his love says, I am still a good shepherd. And though others might not make it their ambition or time to fight for you as a shepherd, I myself am going to fight for you. I myself am going to come looking for you. And this is what he's talking about. He says, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. This is the good news about God. You can only go so far, right? You can only go so far in God without his loving care coming and looking for you. Coming to church even this morning, my my son's name is Shepherd, And he went downstairs. I said, let's go. Get your shoes on. Let's go. Let's get ready. And then my daughter was with me and she was getting ready. And then all of a sudden I could call for her. Let's go and call for him. And he was nowhere to be found. (laughs) And then at my door I heard the buzzer. I was like, I know it's too early for mail to be delivered. I'm hoping that's my son. So I went looking for him, right? There was something in me that said, like, listen, I appreciate your zeal to get to church, but wait for me. Stop trying to outrun me. Isn't that what we often do in life? We have our own plans and ambitions, and we outrun the God who's trying to lead us by his rod and his staff. And we end up in trouble because we do things without him and try to attach his name to it. And oftentimes, you might say to yourself, I may not be in outright sin. For instance, I might not find myself in sexual morality or drunkenness. I might not find myself dishonoring my parents or doing all these other things that we'll find in things like the Ten Commandments. But you find yourself outrunning the one who's trying to lead you into the green pastures. He's the one who says, listen... I'm Lord, I'm in charge, trust me, no good thing do I withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You don't have to put together relationships yourself. I've got that in mind. I'm, remember, God Almighty, El Shaddai, the one who satisfies you. And when you go astray, he says, I'm coming to look for you. As a shepherd, I'm sorry, that verse, going back up there. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, he says, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. 
And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. He's got promise for you if you trust him. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. Good pasture. Meaning God's got good things for you. How many people can trust that? Even when you don't see it, God's got good things for you. I'm leading you into good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Then he says this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring them back. I'm sorry, and I will bring back the strayed. And I will, here's the good news, bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy, meaning those full of pride. I will feed them in justice. God's saying, listen, I'm coming for you. But this is how I'm going to come for you, to be a good shepherd to you. And there is no way that we can actually relate to him as a good shepherd unless we know his heart. We're going over these scriptures again and again because when you know about God, that's one thing. But when you relate to God, it's another. Okay? Does everybody understand that? Many of us have grown up in a church culture where you've known about God. But the point of a shepherd is, is that he's relating to the sheep. They have relationship and interaction. And what he wants to teach you is how to relate to him in a dynamic way. And not just an intellectual one. Not just an intellectual one. There was a woman named Harriet Louise Holland Patterson. The fourth. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but... <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. But she wrote a good book called Around the Mediterranean with my Bible. And she actually described the shepherds in this way. She said, shepherding does not change much in Palestine, where wild beasts may descend still upon unprotected sheep and suddenly destroy them. The Palestine shepherd lives night and day with his animals. He establishes a degree of intimacy with them that is touching to observe. He calls them all by their names, and they, knowing his voice and hearing his only heed. He protects the sheep from thieves and praying animals who would devour them at night by sleeping in the opening of the often makeshift sheep, sheepfold, and they, sensing his watchfulness, fear no evil. He provides pasture and water even in the wilderness in the presence of enemies, and they, casting all their anxiety upon him, are fed. There is a singular communion between the shepherd and his sheep, which, after one has visited Palestine and observed it, makes a symbol of the good shepherd peculiarly apt, and the 23rd Psalm strangely moving. When we see the relationship, we come to understand that everything the shepherd is with his sheep, our Jehovah Rohi is with us, his people. This intimate relationship with the shepherd is the greatest privilege that the sheep have. It is what Jesus made available to us through the cross, taking our sin and removing hostility between us and God. 
He said, the greatest privilege that you have is to be cared for as a sheep. Now, the first time I heard that, I was a little bit offended because sheep are dumb, you know? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, don't call me a sheep, man. <laughs> you know, but then I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I've made quite a few mistakes that were of my own making. Anybody ever make some mistakes in the world of your own making and then blame God for the circumstances? Come on, put your hand up, <laughs> okay? Here's the honest truth. We are like sheep. We all are like sheep who, goes astray, who go astray, but he says this is our privilege that he's calling us to relate to us as a shepherd. You don't follow or obey a voice, though, that you do not recognize. To know our Jehovah Rohi and his voice, as a sheep know the shepherd and his voice, we must have long, abiding, and ongoing time in his presence to become familiar with his voice that like the wandering sheep, we might not go astray. Can I say that again? To actually get to know the voice of the shepherd, you've got to have long abiding and ongoing relating with the shepherd to know his voice. See, before text messaging, some of you are too young to remember an age without it. But there were things called home phones. <laughs> That's right, home phones. Yes, you might have seen it in the Field Museum downtown. But the thing is, whenever somebody called you on a home phone, if they felt themselves familiar with you, often they would say hello without identifying themselves. Anybody ever have that happen even on your cell phone nowadays? Somebody picks up the phone, you pick up the phone, and you're like, hello? And they're like, what's up? And you're like, listen, go back to the 90s. Listen, the thing is, it's like, and you're like, I know you feel familiar with me, but I don't recognize your voice. Can you identify yourself? Who is this? Has anybody have had that happen before? They identify themselves and you're like, oh yeah, this is Johnny, you know? They call again, just as confident in your familiarity with them. And they once again, instead of saying WhatsApp, say, my dog. And you're like, I listen, I'm listening, I think this might be someone I know, I think this might be Sam, but Sam, is this you? And they're like, no, 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 this is Johnny. They correct you and you're like, okay, I got it. I'm becoming more familiar with your voice. And then finally they call again and when they say, hello, then immediately because you've begun, you've begun to recognize the tone and the timbre of their voice, you recognize them and immediately you're like, Johnny, what's up? I'm ready to talk to you. I'm ready to divulge my heart, my thoughts, my fears, right? I'm ready to connect with you. It's the same thing in relating with the good shepherd. You cannot expect to just come once a week and have all that you need to keep you through the week. This is the beginning place. This is the place where you're pressing the reset button with the people of God, getting refocused on him, his nature, his purposes, and how to actually interact with him and walk with him. But after this, this is why we have things like community groups, where you actually get to know the good shepherd in the midst of the fold that he's put you a part of. So sometimes if you don't, as a sheep, know his voice yet, it's important that you talk to another sheep who may know his voice so that you can actually stay in the fold and actually not get picked off by the enemy who's coming for your life. Amen. 
the practical thing is that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and all of this is fulfilled in me, but you've got to do it my way. Let's finish in John chapter 10 today. John chapter 10, we're going to skip down to verse 11. Jesus, whenever he was talking about being our Jehovah Rohi, he said, listen, I am the good shepherd. All the things that you've heard about in the past, wherever you ta- heard Ezekiel speaking about that, which the shepherd is going to do coming and looking for the lost sheep. What did Jesus say when he showed up on the scene? He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, whenever he's dealing with the young, he has the children coming and trying to jump on his lap, just like the children today. And the other disciples rebuked him, but he said, hey, listen, let the children come to me and do not correct them. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I'm gently leading the young. He says, I'm taking you to green pasture and I'm going to feed you, feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000 with the loaves of bread and the fish. He said, I'm satisfying your souls but with something more, my actual salvation. He says, I am that good shepherd that not only Ezekiel and Isaiah were talking about, I'm that good shepherd that David was talking about where he said, that good shepherd is mine. That good shepherd is mine. And Jesus unequivocally says this when he says, I am, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And just as you had these thoughts of relating to the good shepherd this way, now relate to me. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's my nature towards you. And that's what was ultimately fulfilled at the cross, right? No one needs to stay at a distance from God because God says, listen, I voluntarily lay down my life for you to make a way where previously there was no way because of your sin. I'm saying I'm doing everything that I can to bridge a gap between myself and you. And yes, is there tension at times? That's fine. I'm able to handle it. I already handled it on the cross. And that which would keep you from me, I'm telling you, I've put an end to. Come to me. I laid down my life for you. He who was a hired hand... And not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus said, though, I'm different. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life. Why? So I can take it up again. I'm telling you, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the Jehovah-Rohi who came to David. I'm the Jehovah-Rohi who actually sustained Israel in the midst of the dry and desert place. So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. He says, I want to know you intimately. And with my rod and my staff, I want to comfort you. I want to lead you into my purposes. And outside of the flock, bring others in. I don't want you to be left on your own. And we say this over and over again, but the safest place that you can be is in the will of God. In the will of God. No matter how hard, challenging, even if you're going through the, what seems like the valley of the shadow of death, as David said... Has that God ever called you to something before and it cost you more than you were willing or thought you signed up for initially? 
He said, even though you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm telling you, you don't have to fear evil. Why? Because I myself am with you. I, the good shepherd. And what some of you need to learn to do in here is start to use your sanctified imagination. You know what I mean by sanctified imagination? Sanctified means set apart, okay? Set apart to God. We all imagine plenty of things on, our da- on a daily basis. Most times we embellish our fears or our, um, or our discontents or our frustrations. Isn't that true? Does anybody have a broken record playing over and over again in your mind? Frustrations towards family members, friends, coworkers, and the community around us. Okay, well, maybe it's just me. But the point is, is that we need to start meditating with our sanctified imagination on the shepherd. And what does it mean that he's near? I need to be open to his loving correction as a shepherd if I need it. And everybody needs to say amen to that. If you're left on your own, you get picked off. The enemy roams around like a lion looking for whom he might what? Devour. But he says in his flock, he says, I'm the good shepherd who comes for you. I stretched out my arms. I've got you, bled for you, died for you, laid down my life for you voluntarily. And now I want you to come to me. Come to me, the good shepherd. How do you do that practically? And this is where we'll end. You do it practically by, at the beginning of your days, setting up some devoted time. There were times of worship and times of prayer. Listen, I know everybody's busy in here. Does anybody not feel busy? Anybody feel like you're just strolling through life? Right. So can we just let that die? Can we just like let it die that says, yeah, I mean, because we all do the things that we actually want to do anyway, right? And that's true. You live long enough, you'll come to admit that. When you say, oh, I didn't have time for that, what you meant was, I didn't want to give time to that. (laughs) And the shepherd, to learn his voice, you've got to set apart time and say, I'm consecrating this to you. I'm saying, God, I'm going to set this time apart and I'm going to open your word. That's how I know his voice. How do I know, um, how do I differentiate between his voice and the voice of a stranger? I know his word. So when something contradicts his word, I can reject it. Why? Because it doesn't agree with him. He's not double-minded about anything. I can worship him, not just on a Sunday morning, but I can worship him in my private time. As I'm going along throughout the day, on, yes, on the train. That's right. People think you're strange anyway. Listen, the point is that you'll be in good company. Listen, the point is you can worship him there. You can pray, not only individually, but collectively, right? That's what the flock did. They knew him as my shepherd, but they also knew him as our shepherd. And these are practical things that as you're getting your new year started, right? We believe in a fiscal year here. January was only to like start New Year's resolutions that we were gonna get rid of anyway. But in the fiscal year, we actually start our walk with God over again and say, listen, be my good shepherd. But actually... He said back to us, be my obedient sheep. Be my obedient sheep and I'll relate to you as I have a heart to. He was crucified, died, and raised again to give you the freedom to do that. It's the most intimate privilege that we have. Let's act like it today. Amen? All right, let's worship.